Hi, everyone, and welcome back to A Book Nerd in the Bible. My name is Sam, and most weeks, I compare biblical stories to some of my favorite books. This inaugural season, I have looked at the stories about Jesus before he starts his ministry, and we have learned a lot about the world of the young Jesus of Nazareth with the help of books like Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, The Fellowship of the Ring, Pachinko, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, and The Bell Jar. Somehow, though, we are at the end of season one. I planned this first season to have 12 episodes, and, well, here we are. It has been a lot of fun for me to start the show and really become more comfortable finding my voice here, and I want to thank everyone who listened to this first season. We have come a long way from when I recorded the first episode on my phone. Last episode, we had the absolute pleasure of having a conversation with Dr. Shelley Matthews, an expert on feminism in the New Testament. To bring our first season to a close, you will once again enjoy listening to someone who is much smarter than myself. My wife, Ivy, who has been the biggest supporter of this show and someone who really helps me a lot behind the scenes, is hosting this episode. She really expands my perspective on a lot of the books and biblical stories we talk about, and I hope this episode she can do the same for you. She will be comparing Molly Weasley from the Harry Potter series to the godly woman described in Proverbs 31. Molly is a beloved character from the HP world, and Proverbs 31 is often seen as an iconic piece of scripture, particularly in evangelical circles, so I really hope you enjoyed this discussion as much as I have. I have not written the script for this week's episode, but I can only assume Ivy will discuss scenes that occur throughout the Harry Potter series, so it's time for the obligatory warning. If you haven't read the series and want to avoid spoilers, then I recommend stopping here. But I know you've seen the movies, so just join us for what will be a really fun conclusion to season one. Let's join Ivy as she heads to the borough to think about the wisdom of King Solomon, and let's dive in. podcasters. My name's Ivy Best, and I'm so thankful and honored that I get to be featured on the podcast this week. I want to give a shout out to my wonderful, loving, humble, kind, and thoughtful husband, Sam, for the hard work that he does on this podcast. He spends hours every week researching the pods, um, writing them out, and working so hard to make sure that he is bringing God-honoring and... Um, content that's full of integrity and I appreciate him so much for letting me join in. Um, this week I want to be talking about a passage of scripture that was formative not only for me but I think for a lot of women in church. Um, this was a passage that was preached to me as the model of what a godly woman should be and I like that it in my mind is one of the more encompassing. It's one of the broader, it's one of the um, widest definitions of what it means to be a woman of God. And I think that so many of the passages about women in scripture have been used over time to limit um, what a woman who serves God should be able to do and who she should be. But I think that this passage has the opposite effect, and I think that the point of it is to broaden who a woman of God should and can be, and that's Proverbs 31. 
when I think about that passage um, and I think about literature, the person that comes to mind is Molly Weasley. I love Molly Weasley. She is the mother that we all want for our mother. She is the wife that I think every man wants for his wife. Um, and that's how the proverb starts, a wife of noble character who can find. And when I think about that question, the answer um, looks like Molly Weasley. She acts and talks and thinks and behaves like a lot of women of God that I look up to. Um, and she is a role model for me. And she has the pitfalls and distractions and difficulties that so many of us face. So she is relatable um, as she is lofty. So with that, I'm going to start out reading the relevant portion of the proverb. It's pretty short, so hopefully not too laborious. Um, and then I want to hit three broad categories where I think I find similarity between Mrs. Weasley and the proverb. This is from the NIV version. This is Proverbs 31, verses 6 through 31. Epilogue, the wife of noble character. A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her task. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hands, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed, clothed with strength and dignity, and she can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction in her tongue. She watches over the affairs of the household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. I love this passage of scripture because it describes a woman of God that is competent. She makes things with her hands. She sells them in the market. She takes care of her family, not only emotionally, but also physically. She um, is a salesperson. She is hardworking. She's up all night. She takes in strangers. She's kind. Um, she's valuable. She loves her family um, and provides for them emotionally as well as physically. And I think that that um, is the type of woman I would like to be and that many would aspire to be. Um, and we see in the passage the reward that she gets, her family, her husband, they love her, they praise her. Um, and I think that reminds me of Molly Weasley and it reminds me of the ideal woman that we all seek. The biggest things that stand out to me when I read that passage are the dealings with money. 
We don't really see women dealing with money a lot in the Bible, and this is one of the few examples that I can think of um, where women are buying things, selling things, making money. You know, we see in this passage a woman making something and selling it probably on her own accord since we don't see any mention of her husband, you know, doing that for her. And to think about a woman in this time period setting a price for something and bartering for goods she's made, there's something so empowering about that, that she doesn't have to sit at home and wait on her husband to bring home money. She has autonomy and she can do that on her own. But we also see sewing and and making clothes um, as a way to to cover and protect and care for those people that she loves. Um, So I think that money and clothes are two of the biggest things I see in this passage. But another one is not physical. It's emotional. It talks about caring for strangers. It talks about caring for the servants. It talks about um, having open arms for people that need a place. And I think that speaks to the emotional labor that women have typically carried um, and I think it shows that it's it's not enough to put food on the table. There's more work to be done, and I think that is what um, this this woman of God is doing. And when I think about those three things, the clothes, the money, and the emotional labor, I think Molly Weasley is a perfect fit for those three kind of categories of, of being a, a woman of God. The first topic that I want to dive in a little bit more on is the money subject because like I said this is um, a verse that I've latched on to it many times throughout my um, relationship with God when I've been wrestling with what is my role um, as a woman who loves God what is my role in my marriage what is my role in the church and there's so many competing voices out there about what women's role should be and this verse for me has been um, a beacon and it's been um, a cornerstone it's been a firm foundation um, that talks about a woman handling money being independent you know making choices on her own she doesn't depend on her husband for everything um, that's the verses 15, 16, 18, and 19. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hands, she to- holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. You know, she's not, um... We don't just see her throwing money at charity here. We see her, you know, she sees that her trading is profitable. I mean, that's um, investment. That's smart money managing. And then we see she considers a field and buys it. You know, she is making smart purchases. She's um, doing research in the market. And out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. That shows me that, you know, she has her own money and she is at least somewhat in charge of her money or the family's money um and when i think about mrs weasley and money the <laughs> the first thing that i think about is a scene from the second book or movie that i think a lot of people have probably read or seen um when the weasleys get their letters via owl that um, list all of their school books that they need. The, the quote says, Letters from school, says Mrs. Weasley, passing Harry and Ron identical envelopes. 
For a few minutes, there was silence as they all read their letters. Fred, who'd finished his own list, peered over at Harry's. At this point, Fred caught his mother's eye and quickly busied himself with the marmalade. That lot won't come cheap, said George, with a quick look at his parents. Lockhart's books are really expensive. Well, we'll manage, said Mrs. Weasley, but she looked worried. I expect we'll be able to pick up a lot of Jenny's things secondhand. Mrs. Weasley woke them all early the following Wednesday. After a quick half-dozen bacon sandwiches each, they pulled on their coats, and Mrs. Weasley took a flower pot off the kitchen mantelpiece and peered inside. We're running low, Arthur, she sighed. We'll have to buy some more today. Ah, well, guess first. After you, Harry, dear. I love the scene where the Weasleys are looking at their school book list, and George says a comment to the effect of, Mom, these are really expensive, you know, and, and Fred even looks away from Mrs. Weasley because he knows what the reaction is going to be. You know, it's Mrs. Weasley that's the one dealing with, we have expenses and we have money and the money's less than the expenses. Um, and she's the one that's making sacrifices. She's making cuts. She's the one figuring out, well, maybe we can get some of Jenny's things secondhand. Um, she's the one that's carrying... Um, the money worry, it seems, of the family. And you see it again when they take the flu powder out of the flower pot on the mantelpiece and they're going to travel to Diagon Alley to buy all these books. Um, you know, you see her remarking, we're running low in flu powder, we'll have to buy some more. Um, but then she, she quickly turns to Harry, guest first, after you, Harry, dear. She um, got up that morning and made them each half a dozen bacon sandwiches times all the Weasley kids plus Mr. Weasley and Harry. That's that's a lot of bacon sandwiches that she's carrying that load. She's worrying about the money and she's the one making it work. She's the one saying, we're running low, we'll have to buy some more. You don't see that from Mr. Weasley. So I love to think about her managing the family household, even though Mr. Weasley's the one going to work and she stays home. Um, another scene that, that I love from that book, it's still book two, um, and it's a sadder scene, is when they get to Diagon Alley, they go to Gringotts, which is the wizard bank, and they go down to the Weasley's vault, um, and the Weasley's have very little money in their vault, and Harry's there, and Harry has a ton of money, he's got a trust fund, his parents left him, and, um, it's Mrs. Weasley that's searching the vault, she's searching every corner, um, and she's the one looking for money in the vault. The quote is, Harry enjoyed the breakneck journey down to the Weasley's vault, but felt dreadful, far worse than he had in Nocturne Alley when it was opened. There was a very small pile of silver shackle sickles inside and just one gold galleon. Mrs. Weasley felt right into the corners before sweeping the whole lot into her bag. Harry felt even worse when they reached his vault. He tried to block the contents from view as he hastily shoved handfuls of coins into a leather bag. Again, it's it's Mrs. Weasley that's managing the money in the vault. She's picking out who can take something secondhand so that the family can afford all their expenses. Um, but I think it also shows that she's in charge in some sort of how the money is allocated. Um, and that she doesn't just sit at home and cook for the family. She takes charge of that very important part of the household. Another defining characteristic for me for both the proverb and the Harry Potter books are um, Mrs. Weasley and the Proverbs 31 
woman's focus on clothes. Um, and I think sewing has traditionally been a woman's job, but I think for many women it's been a labor of love. And I think it's certainly that for Mrs. Weasley. Um, she sews a ton of clothes for her kids, for Harry. She mends things, and because they're tied on money, as we've discussed, she's often mending handy-downs. She's um, fixing things to make them last as long as possible to get every penny's worth out of an article of clothing. Um, but no matter how much mending or sewing she has to do, she always does something special for the kids, including making famous Weasley sweaters for the family at Christmas, and she even makes Harry one. Um, the book says, I think I know who that one's from, said Ron, turning a bit pink and pointing to a very lumpy parcel. My mom. I told her you didn't expect any presents and... Oh no, he groaned. She's made you a Weasley sweater. Harry had torn open the parcel to find a thick, hand-knitted sweater in emerald green and a large box of homemade fudge. Um, I think that's Mrs. Weasley showing love for Harry through making him a sweater. Um, we also see her showing love for the kids and again balancing the family budget when um, Ron and Harry need to go to the Yule Ball in book four, and Mrs. Weasley makes them dress robes. The book says, He was just piling underwear into his cauldron when Ron made a loud noise of disgust behind him. What is this supposed to be? He, he was holding up something that looked to Harry like a long maroon velvet dress. It had moldy-looking lace frill at the collar and matching lace cuffs. There was a knock on the door and Mrs. Weasley entered, carrying an armful of freshly laundered Hogwarts robes. Here you are, she said, sorting them into two piles. Now mind you, pack them properly so they don't crease. Mum, you've given me Jenny's new dress, said Ron, handing it out to her. Of course I haven't, said Mrs. Weasley. That's for you, dress robes. What, said Ron, looking horror-struck. Dress robes, repeated Mrs. Weasley. It says on your school list that you're supposed to have dress robes this year. Robes for formal occasions. You've got to be kidding, said Ron in disbelief. I'm not wearing that, no way. Everyone wears them, Ron, said Mrs. Weasley crossly. They're all like that. Your father's got some for smart parties. I'll go starkers before I put that on, said Ron stubbornly. Don't be so silly, said Mrs. Weasley. You've got to have dress robes, they're on your list. I got some for Harry, too. Show him, Harry. In some trepidation, Harry opened the last parcel on his camp bed. It wasn't as bad as he had expected, however. His dress robes didn't have any lace on them at all. In fact, they were more or less the same as his school ones, except that they were bottle green. Instead of black. I thought they'd bring out the color in your eyes, dear, said Mrs. Weasley fondly. Well, they're okay, said Ron angrily, looking at Harry's robes. Why couldn't I have some like that? Because, well, I had to get your second hand and there wasn't a lot of choice, said Mrs. Weasley, flushing. Harry looked away. He would willingly have split all the money in his Gringotts vault with the Weasleys, but he knew they would never take it. I'm never wearing them, Ron said stubbornly. Never. Fine, snapped Mrs. Weasley. Go naked. And Harry, make sure you get a picture of him. Goodness knows I could do with a laugh. She left the room, slamming the door behind her. There was a funny spluttering noise from behind them. Pigwidgeon was choking on an overlarge owl treat. 
Why is everything I own rubbish, said Ron furiously, striding across the room to unstick Pigwidgeon's beak. I think that those passages show that Mrs. Weasley clearly has a lot on her plate. She washes all the kids' laundry and folds it nicely for them, but she still has time to make and get special clothes for her kids that they need, and even when they don't appreciate her, she does it anyways because she knows they need it. When I look at the proverb, the verses that sticked out to me are 13, 21, 22, 24, and 25. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. She makes linen garments and sells them, and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed in strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. I like that. 21 verse that says when it snows she has no fear for her household all of them are clothed in scarlet that's preparation for the ones she loves she she knows it's going to snow or she knows the yule ball is coming up and so she gets the family what they need so that they can be prepared and she's not worried about them um but it also talks about you know selecting wool and flax making covering for the bed um, and then making garments and selling them. Um, I love that that's a way that the Proverbs 31 woman and Mrs. Weasley care for those that they love um, and find a sense of agency. Another thing that's obvious about Mrs. Weasley, and I think that it's also present in the Proverbs 31 passage, is the emotional labor that she carries and the emotional work that she does for the family. She does the worrying for the family, she does the fighting for the family, and she does most of the um, looking out for Harry that a mother would do for him. But we see how much she loves her family, how much she cares about them, and the toll that it takes on her. Um, but I think it also brings her praise and reward from the family, just like the Proverbs 31 woman. Um, Proverbs 31.20 says, She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. 27-29 to 29 says, she watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. I think those um, represent for me <laughs> taking in strangers, helping those who need it, think Harry, watching over the household, not eating the bread of idleness. That seems to convey the all-consuming nature of emotional work um, or worry. And then we see the reward that that gets her, right? Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and the husband praises her. And this is the quote from the husband saying, many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. And I think that's exactly how Mr. Weasley and the Weasley kids and Harry would describe Mrs. Weasley um, one of my favorite scenes from the book and from the movie is, again, from book two, when the Weasley brothers 
Fred, George, and Ron come to rescue Harry from the Dursley's house where he's been locked in his bedroom. And they fly the flying car from um, Little Winging to the burrow. And they get there and Mrs. Weasley has been up all night panicked and worried about the kids. And she says, Bed's empty. No note. Car gone. Could have crashed. Out of my mind with worry. Did you care? Never, as long as I've lived. You wait until your father gets home. We never had a trouble like this with Bill or Charlie or Percy. Perfect Percy, muttered Fred. You could do with taking a leaf out of Percy's book, yelled Mrs. Weasley, prodding a finger into Fred's chest. You could have died. You could have been seen. You could have lost your father's job. So, I think there you see... You know, Mr. Weasley's off at work, and, and he doesn't seem to know anything's wrong until he gets home for breakfast later, but it's Mrs. Weasley that's been up all night worried about her kids, worried about Mr. Weasley losing his job, worried about the kids getting hurt, worrying about them getting expelled from Hogwarts. I mean, she's the one that's saying, you guys didn't even care about me enough to leave me a note. <laughs> Tell me where you're going. You know, I woke up and... The beds were empty and the car was gone and I've been panicking. Um, later in that scene, she's, I, I love this quote. Mrs. Weasley was clattering around cooking breakfast a little haphazardly, throwing dirty looks at her sons as she threw sausages into the frying pan. Every now and then she muttered things like, don't know what you were thinking of and never would I have believed it. So we see her, regardless of that she's relieved that the kids are home and that she's been up all night worried sick about them, she's cooking breakfast. You know, she's the one throwing sausages in the pan. And I think that speaks to um, her hardworking character and her integrity and um, the noble woman that she is. Later in... In book five, we see um, a darker side of the emotional labor that Mrs. Weasley carries for the family when um, Lord Voldemort has returned and Harry is obviously a target. And because the Weasleys support Harry, they are targets. Um, they can no longer live in their home, the burrow, because it would be targeted by Dark Lord Voldemort and his followers, so they've moved to another place that's full of um, magical creatures called Boggarts, and the Boggart works by turning into the thing that the person is the most afraid of, and a wizard can get rid of a Boggart by turning it into something funny and laughing at it and using a spell called Ridiculous, but if the wizard is overcome by the fear of the thing they see that the boggart has turned into they won't be able to destroy the boggart that's how the boggart works and we see um harry walks into a room and mrs weasley is facing a boggart and she's trying to get rid of it um and it keeps turning into her worst nightmares which is her family getting killed by lord voldemort or one of his followers the death eaters and we see the toll that worrying about the family largely on her own for so many years, has taken on her. The book says, Someone was cowering against the dark wall, her wand in her hand, her whole body shaking with sobs, sprawled on the dusty old carpet in a patch of moonlight, clearly dead, was Ron. All the air seemed to vanish from Harry's lungs. He felt as though he were falling through the floor. His brain turned icy cold. Ron, dead? 
No, it couldn't be. But wait a moment. It, co it couldn't be. Ron is downstairs. Mrs. Weasley? Harry croaked. R rid ridiculous! Mrs. Weasley sobbed, shake pointing her shaking wand at Ron's body. Crack! Ron's body turned into Bill's, spread eagle on his back, his eyes wide open and empty. Mrs. Weasley sobbed harder than ever. R ridiculous! She sobbed again. Crack! Mr. Weasley's body replaced Bill's. His glasses askew, a trickle of blood running down his face. No, Mrs. Weasley moaned. No, ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous! Crack, dead twins. Crack, dead Percy. Crack, dead Harry. Mrs. Weasley, just get out of here, shouted Harry, staring down at his own dead body on the floor. That scene is, is gut-wrenching for me. Um when I think about all the women and mothers throughout time that have seen um, sons go off to war, they've seen violence, they've seen poverty, they've seen death, they've seen um, displacement, terrorism, other forms of, of horrors and of destruction that have taken away their kids, their husband, their loved ones, and they are... Um, often left at home to do the worrying. And I think um, that's the double-edged sword that being a beacon to the needy and, and taking in everyone that needs a hand, the, the more you love, the more you have to lose. But I think that Mrs. Weasley, you know, she, she takes that on because it's, it's the only way to live. It's the only way forward. And um, I find myself doing that. And I, I know... Um, it'd be hard for me to name a, a woman who doesn't do that, who doesn't say, of course they're welcome, of course they can come to dinner, of course they can stay over, of course we'll love them as our own. Stray cat, take it in. Stray dog, take it in. Stray kid, take them in, you know, and um, that's certainly the way that my mother was and so many um, women that have been role models for me have been, and the dark side of that is that the more you take in, the more you worry about at night and the more you um, see when you're yelling ridiculous at a boggart, the, the, more, the longer the list of names you see on the floor. Um, and we see the, the weight of that for Mrs. Weasley. Um, overall, I, I, I hope that the money, the clothes, the emotional labor were... Um, bullet points for you to see a lofty woman of noble character who's worth more than rubies, the scripture says, compared to um, a very human-like and a very relatable literary character. I think that they can be two in the same, and I'm sure that everyone listening could think of a woman or someone in their life that can be all of those things. They are worth more than rubies, and they can be sobbing in the corner um, with their own thoughts. Those things aren't mutually exclusive, and I think that they're a part of all of us. So I hope that those bullet points were helpful for you to think about um, a more purely literary analysis of a passage of scripture than I think Sam normally does. Um, there was no references to archaeology this week, no pottery, no history books, no textbooks, um, and no Greek or Hebrew translations. You're welcome. 
Um, just one of our favorite literary characters of all time and a wonderful passage about godly women that I think is broadening the expanse and that we should use to broaden the expanse of what it means to be a woman of God. I'd like to say thank you again to Sam, my wonderful husband, for letting me hijack the podcast this week and do it the way that I wanted to do it. Um, But again, I'm so thankful for him and the time and effort that he puts into this project. Um, And I hope that if it can touch even one life and heart, it will be worth every moment of time spent Um, And I am praying that this would be a beacon of light for people that need it and that maybe even it could be um, a touch, a warm hug, a Christmas sweater in emerald green that someone needs to put on and feel um, enveloped by um, God's love or by the love of a literary character or maybe both. Thanks again for having me and see you next season. That is all we have this week. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation, and I hope you appreciated getting a different point of view than mine this week. Ivy is a huge part of this podcast, and she really helps me make the show the best it can be. Plus, who can't love Molly Weasley? That is also all we have for season one. I really hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you learned a little about the books and stories we talked about along the way. I know my perspective on Jesus and his life has definitely changed researching for each episode, so I hope you feel the same. I am already looking forward to season two, and I have some exciting news on that front. Season two will premiere on April 6th. I need about a month to make it through some research on our next topic, and it will afford me a little time to be more prepared for next season, so our schedule will be more consistent. Speaking of our next topic, I am excited to share that season two we will be following the stories of King David found in 1st and 2nd Samuel of the Old Testament. These are some of the most timeless stories of the Bible, and I cannot wait to begin our comparisons. If there is a book you want to see covered in season two, then let me know on Twitter or Anchor. I already have some episodes planned that I am very excited about, so you are not going to want to miss out. I will certainly miss sharing stories with y'all, but I think the future of the show is bright. I want to thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this little podcast, then please share us with others that are lovers of books, biblical comparisons, or anything in between. We are just starting out, so we need all the help we can to get the word out. Also, please check out our website at anchor.fm slash booknerd and the Bible, or find us on Twitter at booknerd underscore Bible. You can find the next episode of A Book Nerd in the Bible on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, or Good Pods. Thanks again, and may the book nerd in you be blessed until we meet again.